When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And all right, what's up? Welcome in GC Live Monday episode. South Carolina pulls out a gutsy 17-14 victory over the Kentucky Wildcats. Over the referees, too, if you listen to a few of my buddies who may may have a case. I don't know, man. There were there are some some iffy calls, but South Carolina found a way. Didn't necessarily play out the way I expected it to. I, I thought it would be a tight game, which obviously it ended up being that. Uh, we talked all week long last week about what to expect from kind of a game flow standpoint. It was a little bit different than I expected, but South Carolina finding a way, you know, obviously for really the first time this year, the defense absolutely carried the day for South Carolina. Offense finding a way to win late with, um, yeah, gutsy. Gutsy is just the, the word that kind of comes to mind for the whole thing, uh, putting together a, a late great drive. To, to take the lead, and then the defense held on for them. So, of course, we're going to dive into that. Good to see many of you already there in the chat. And as always, this show brought to you by Clint Hammond of Movement Mortgage, clinthammond.com, 803-771-6933. If you're in the market to buy a home, Clint is a mortgage broker here in Columbia with Movement Mortgage. Hit him up again, clinthammond.com, 803-771-6933. Chris, um, not the prettiest game you've ever seen I, I was trying to think of the right word for it it was a little bit just disjointed I felt like um it, it kind of felt like when you're watching a basketball game and there's a lot of fouls so there's just never a flow to it like like dude there was so much energy in that stadium at the beginning and then it, it kind of there was a lull for a while, it felt like. Mm-hmm. And then when the offense got going sort of in the fourth quarter, and then when after that when everybody knew, all right, defense has got a hold here a few times in a row, it um, – I mean, that place came unglued again. So it, it was kind of – I don't know. It, it wasn't the prettiest of games, but it was also, I believe – what most people that were there will probably call a memorable game as well, just because of the, all the pomp and circumstance around it. And at this point, anytime South Carolina beats Kentucky, it, uh, it is reason for celebration for, for Gamecock fans. Yeah. I mean, two in a row, Shane Beamer made sure to mention that a couple times afterwards. And, uh, you know, South Carolina broke that that painful streak last season. They broke a painful Clemson streak. They broke a painful Texas A&M streak, right? And so this year, it was about trying to do a couple of those things again, and they were able to get it done against Kentucky. Wes, in a lot of ways, you know, I think some things about this game played out like we thought they would. Some things maybe were a little bit different. And South Carolina was really able to check some of the boxes that um, 
they needed to check, frankly, to win this game. And I know we'll dive into all those. But, you know, when you kind of project a tight fourth quarter game, you know that there's going to be some moments where things aren't going so well during that game, right? Um, whether it's, you know, back and forth, maybe you have a lead and surrender it, or maybe you have to come from behind. We saw all those things in this game. Um, I know I thought a little bit more lower scoring, but not as low scoring as it ended up being in this game. But again, tight fourth quarter game. And when that happens, you figure it's just going to come down really to a few plays over the course of a ball game. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, one of the boxes that South Carolina checked was turnovers, right? You, you saw how they were able to um, Jalen Kilgore fumble after a first down reception just makes a great textbook, you know, tackle and strip of the football. We saw Jordan Strong knock, knock a ball out. We saw Nicky McGorry come up with an interception. And then conversely, South Carolina's offense was able to take great care of the football on their own and, and not turn the football over. That ended up being significant in this game. And then when it came down to it, South Carolina just made a, a few more plays than Kentucky did. Kentucky missed a couple deep shots. South Carolina converted some, you know, third and longer situations, one of them being the game-winning touchdown on a third and nine, and that came after they had a second and 27. They were able to hit a couple of 17-yard plays in a row, one to get them into third and nine, and then one to ultimately score that touchdown. So a few plays here and there. Wes, I thought going in, pretty evenly matched teams. I thought coming out, pretty evenly matched teams. But you credit South Carolina for making enough plays at the end of the day uh, to win the game. Yeah, and I think, man, being in Columbia, difference maker in that game. Like, look, looking at how close they were, I I can't sit here. Like I, I like I said earlier on 107.5, there's some talk from the Kentucky side that, oh, Kentucky was the better team or Kentucky should have won the game. And, you know, I, I just don't see that, man. You can sit there. Did, did Kentucky miss some opportunities to maybe hit a few deep balls down the field? Yes. But did South Carolina miss some of their own opportunities to score more or to put the game away earlier? You know, you have a a guaranteed pick six. It looked like um, Kilgore made a great break on that ball. Um, you know, if he holds on to it, he's taking it to the house and, and sort of puts it away a, a good bit earlier. So I, I feel like in most games, man, you can sort of nitpick and say, well, here's five things one team could have done differently. Here's five things the other – um, you know, team could have done differently. So I didn't see it as like, oh, Kentucky. Kentucky didn't even control the game. Kentucky was down 10 nothing to start. And, dude, South Carolina has an early holding call on – well, not early in the game. It wasn't early in the drive. It was later in the drive. But they're set up way down there and get called for a hold. Travis, Travis and I are on the same page here. Um you end up kicking a field goal instead of a touchdown. I mean, that that to me felt like not an early chance, not for a knockout blow. It's too early for that. But if you go up 14 to nothing with just two drives, two touchdowns, that's a completely different vibe, I, I feel like, and just puts pressure on the opponent. So, um, you know, and it's continued a trend, I feel like, Chris, South Carolina has been very good on script. Like they've been very good to start games. Their plan has been 
fantastic and it's been executed well. And so that that part has been good. Now you'd like to avoid the the six straight drives there of just like nothing going on. Um now there were various reasons it was happening, but um Carolina 100% showed up, came to play and looked prepared on both sides of the ball in this game. Muted, Chris. I haven't done that in a while. Let, let me go back to the notion that Kentucky was the quote-unquote better team. South Carolina won this game, and they were the better team because they won, but I, I don't think anybody in Columbia is is going, oh, man, we just kicked their butt up and down the field. Like, nobody's saying that, right? It came, it came down to a few plays. To your point, South Carolina missed some opportunities of their own, right? Um, heck, you, you mentioned the Jalen Kilgore play. Mentioned the hold. I mean, how about Spencer Rattler uh, moving out of the pocket and throwing on the run to a Marion Brown on a ball that missed by about two feet, maybe? You know, that was at the very minimum you're in field goal range. At best, a Marion Brown touch, catches that ball and maybe runs on into the end zone. You know, that was a big play. Uh, Kentucky scored two touchdowns in this game. One of them, Wes, was actually both were heavily aided by penalties. One of them, what I thought was a pretty questionable pass interference call. Um, basically, the guys clipped each other's cleats, and they called. They threw a flag on DQ Smith. That ended up putting Kentucky, you know, not in field goal range, not in touchdown range, not in the red zone, but it gave them the ball at about the South Carolina 44, which is helpful when you're trying to drive the football. And the other, Wes, Second touchdown drive, what ended up being the go-ahead at the time for Kentucky. Uh, Gamecocks are off the field. I think it was a third and nine to third and 11, something like that. Incomplete pass. Uh, ball, ball hits the ground, and they get another shot because of a T.J. Sanders hands-to-the-face penalty. So, yeah, I, I think it it's kind of silly to pretend that Kentucky just – got the better of South Carolina in every phase and Kentucky only had self-inflicted wounds. There was, there was a lot of that for South Carolina as well. Um, Mark Stoops after the game for Kentucky said that he's been doing this a while and this is one of the tougher ones he's had. And you can see why, yes, they had opportunities, but you know what, if South Carolina would have lost this game, if it would have gone the other way, let's say Kentucky goes down and kicks a field goal, sends it in overtime wins. South Carolina would have been saying the same thing. Hey, we had plenty of opportunities to win this game. So a close one. And the Gamecocks, to their credit, uh, they made the plays when it counted. Yeah, they did. They made the plays. They found a way to win. You know, and, and generally, if you win a game, you set, that's you can say that sentence. If you lose a game that's close, you're going to sit there and say, man, if we had made this play and that play, we could have won the game. Um, I'm glad you brought up that P.I., man. I had almost forgotten about that play. That was bad. That was rough, and there and there were a couple plays, man. And and look, I would say this, um, you know, win or loss for South Carolina, the officials seemed to be having a hard time. I mean, they really did. There were a couple. You, you had the backwards pass that was so obvious, and they they barely reviewed it. I mean, the ball was almost snapped. Uh, before they reviewed that, it was, it was patently obvious to every single person except for the officiating crew in the stadium. So that they had kind of a rough time. It was just kind of – what was the word you used to, to, to 
not discombobulated about the disjointed. game. Disjointed. The, the officials are very disjointed, discombobulated. Maybe it just kind of matched the theme overall for the entire night. Yeah, Ashley, look at this point right here. So Kentucky's right tackle was moving early just about every play, and they weren't calling it. One time they did call a, a different penalty on Kentucky. Might have been a hands to the face, and it was a obvious false start too. So I don't know. They they just had a tough time. Uh, maybe maybe the crowd got to the officials too. I don't know. Yeah, they were struggling. Um, Beamer was letting them have it on one of those. Uh, I saw him over there going, yeah. doing the false like running on the field, pointing at this guy, doing the false start. Oh signal. yeah, it was their right tackle. Um, it was all night, but. That they they definitely seem to struggle with backwards passes because the the one they called on South Carolina I was I was I had a great angle on that one where I was sitting it's like that's an I I didn't think it was a backwards pass at all um so I don't know dude and the honestly the um what's the what's the rule called they call it now the um Illegal blindside block to Omega. I mean, I'd, I'd have to, I'd have to look at the actual way the rule is written. But he did not he did not clean that guy up the way he could have. He blocked him, but I I don't really know what he's supposed to do there. Because they they according to remember this has come up before. I feel like this came up against Kentucky last year. It's come up before. And they say they they teach you now to like throw your hands up and get in the way of the guy, right? And that's generally in a more open field situation. And that's generally more when just affecting the player like that. Um you know, keep keeps him out of the actual play is what I'm trying to say. Keeps him out of where the football is. On that particular play, though, I really don't know what Omega's supposed to do. And Travis weighing in here, too, saying uh, it's only blindside because the defender had his head turned. Yeah, so what what is the offensive player supposed to do? Because he if, – if the defender – if the defender's head was tracking the player with the ball, he would have seen he was going to get blocked. He didn't get his head turned around like he needed to. Like, I, I just – that's a ticky, ticky, tack um, interpretation of that rule. And they, they ended up going down and scoring anyway. But, dude, at the time – I was like, here we go again. Like, same thing we've seen most of this game. A key penalty has completely blown up a drive. Now, they, to their credit, found a way, as we've talked about earlier. But, man, that was just, I don't know. Maybe by the letter of the rule it's right, but I think they need to look at that. Even if it's for safety, that play right there is still a part of football, in my opinion. Yeah, and and I honestly haven't gone back and looked at that specific play. So I know, and you know, Wes, how they'll change randomly the college football rules. 
I do remember that we had to look at this rule. I don't remember what game, but it was like a season or two, maybe even three, heck, at this point. But I do, I do remember having to look up the definition of that rule, and it was basically a, a block that's initiated from outside of the uh, defender's field of vision or if he can't defend himself against the block. But there also had to be an element of, like, actual attacking with, like, forcible conduct, right? So, um, I don't know, man. If you um, – I've, I've got to look it up. If anybody has looked up, <laughs> Greg said basically act like a pansy. I, what you see a lot of times – is guys that will run in front of the field of vision of a player. You see this like on special teams a lot or on just long runs. And guys will run in and they'll run like way in front of the defender, not kind of from the side, and they'll throw their hands up, kind of like Wes was saying. And so I got I to gotta look a little bit um, back at the Omega play and kind of see what I think. But it, it's just hard, guys. I mean, it, it's one of those things. It's kind of like targeting. I mean, the targeting rule – the targeting rule is kind of written to be vague. You know, I think the the point of the targeting rule, which we did not see in this game, I thought we might. I thought we might see the targeting. Uh, I thought maybe upon the review they would they would review Debo for targeting. They did not call it in this game, but just as a general point, like when you look at the targeting rule, I think they m- tried to take it out of the officials' hands by making it very very specific. But what ends up happening when you make it that specific, I think a lot of times the officials say, well, letter of the law, you know, here it is. And so it's kind of better with a with like the targeting rule or the illegal blindside block rule. I, I get it because you don't want to make that a judgment call, kind of like a, a pass interference or a holding is. But also there needs to be some flexibility, you know, within this framework of, of all those things. Wes, I was just saying – you know, we didn't see targeting called in this game, but I was kind of equating how officials kind of go so much by the book and by the letter of the law uh-huh. that, you know, some, sometimes any judgment at all gets taken out and you kind of get some some pretty iffy calls at the end of the day. So, I think especially when it's something that has been emphasized for a particular year, which, you know, this one, I guess – you know, going into last year, the year before was when they were really talking about this rule. And so it's kind of one of those things that gets emphasized. They feel like they feel like they have to call it too. And I, I get, I think this rule is in to keep guys. We like, we've all seen that play. It happens a lot. It would happen on returns and it could be punt return, kickoff return, interception return. And a guy, a, a defender is like completely out of the play, but he's trying to get into the play. Basically he's trying to get into the mix and he just gets destroyed (laughs) and, you know, and it's forcible and it's, you know, I, I still remember in seventh grade football, us basically scrimmaging eighth grade football team. And this guy on a kickoff coverage, because I didn't get my head around just murdering me. Like I, I to this day, I, so I get taking it out. I get that. But th- if you're a defender and you're in the 
you're basically still in the box on that play, man. Like, you're not out on the edge yet. Like, I know that that play was designed to get out on the edge. But if you're still around the line of scrimmage, you should be able to be blocked, man. Like, I, I don't know. No defender is in that situation thinking, oh, I might – like, they, they know there's a chance you're getting blocked there. So, I don't know. We're, we just spent 10 minutes about something that doesn't matter whatsoever. But <laughs> if South Carolina would have lost because of that, how much would everybody be talking about that play right now? Like, that, that would be yeah. the biggest well, discussion piece today, right? It would be that play and it would be others in the game, frankly, probably. You know, going back and kind of combing through some of the other calls, even even some that they had, they kind of went back and, and corrected after they looked at them. But there were several. I mean, the rest were struggling, like you said. Um, it it might have ended up being like the 2019 Florida game. You remember how brutal that was? You know, you go beat Georgia, you're back at home against Florida, playing pretty well, and then you just get some just brutal, just brutal calls. And, you know, you end up losing that football game, and those calls 100% had some type of effect on it. Uh, All right, let me tell you uh, real quick about our friend Trey Harrell. Auto accident attorney right here in the great state of South Carolina. He's been voted the best personal injury attorney by the readers of the Post and Courier. So great news for him, for his clients and his future clients. Now, we obviously hope that you're never injured in an auto accident here in South Carolina. But if you are, if you have a loved one or a friend who has been, want to make sure that they have somebody by their side who they can trust, who knows the law, who can fight for your rights, who could fight to get what you deserve. You need an attorney who helps. So remember, Trey Harrell helps. You can find him on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. The handle is at Trey Helps. Go there for some pretty cool insights on the legal industry, even some comedy sometimes from Trey. Attorneyharrell.com is where you can find him. That's at Trey Helps on Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok, or attorneyharrell.com. Auto accident attorney right here in South Carolina. I appreciate Trey Harrell helping us bring you GC Live a couple times a week. For sure, man. Appreciate Trey. I don't know if everybody at home catches on to this, but I, sometimes I just uh, try to keep Chris on his toes. I'll just throw the graphic up there and not say anything. And I, I'm normally pretty decent, but I'll tell you, Wes, I, the reason that I had a little bit of a, of a system glitch <laughs> is because I thought – that you had queued me up for like a transition or like a segue. And then uh, I, I thought I had one. I was like, no, that would be the worst segue ever. So I just rolled, I just, I, I deleted it instantly. So wouldn't have been good. I, I actually think I know where you're going with that, but yeah, it, it, it wasn't going to work at all. It's like, no, that's um, not good. Too cheesy. So yeah. Yeah. Um, either way, we appreciate Trey. Appreciate the support of the show. Um, so, all right, man, let's get down into it a little bit more. I, I keep wanting to go back to a few plays on offense, but then I keep kind of telling myself, dude, we, we got to give love to this defense. As much as the defense has been talked about this year, as much as we have had to point out at times negative things and negative plays, um, dude, those were not easy situations they were put in where they, they kind of stepped up and kept getting stops there at the end when the offense had its lull. Yes, Kentucky eventually, you know, they answered back after the field goal, and then Kentucky eventually took the lead in the third quarter. South Carolina made them earn it, though. This was not one of those things where they're just going up and down the field. And, you know, they, they get the ball. There were situations there at the end where, you know, so South Carolina gets a stop, right? 
Kentucky punts. When Carolina takes over at their own one at that point, dude, you're already – I'm already looking ahead. I'm like, okay, Kentucky only needs a field goal. This is a very, very tough uh, situation to convert if you're on offense. Then you're having to punt it away. Kentucky's probably going to take over around midfield, really even if you're lucky around midfield. And, uh, and and that was exactly what what happened. And I I kept thinking the thirty yard line is is kind of where my head was at because I kept remembering Adam Luckett when he was on our show last week saying Kentucky was good from about forty five yards and in at you know at the kicker position. So I was thinking, all right, if they get to the thirty, that's a forty seven yarder. That that's probably about where they're going to feel pretty good about it depending on the wind, depending on the breeze, depending on other little intricacies. But, um, you know, so you got 20 yards to mess with there with them taking over. And with the defense, man, let's be honest, like even even Saturday night, there were some third down conversions where you could just feel the entire stadium, the kind of groan of everybody gets up and everybody's yelling. It's I mean, it's so loud you can't even hear yourself. And then – I mean, Leary made a couple throws on third downs. You're like, okay, I see, I still see the talent is there. But when it mattered, man, turnovers, batted passes, um, you know, the the late, what ended up being a forced fumble by Strong, caught in the air by Tonka, technically a fumble recovery, and then two batted passes in a row there at the end, like with the game on the line, knowing you can't. You can't give up a, a long ball. You can't let them get behind you. And if you give up a touchdown there, you're probably losing the game. So knowing all that's against you, they they got off the field. They made enough plays. And for a defense that has had their struggles this year, it's also worth us uh, giving them a lot of praise for, for how it played out on Saturday. Yeah, they stepped up and, and made big plays. And a lot of times, uh, Wes, it was – in situations that didn't seem as favorable, right? Uh, think about the fumble uh, that Jalen Kilgore caused. That was on actually a kind of a negative play for South Carolina. Dane Key, former four-star, former Gamecock target, who's from Kentucky, probably the only reason they didn't get him, actually. He uh, made a great move. One of those shorter passes that kind of played – that was the one thing that South Carolina really struggled with, I think, on the night, those hitches, those quick outs. Kentucky had a lot of success with him, but so he hits a, a one of those kind of shorter hit routes, uh, makes a guy miss, right? And so now he's running, but Jalen Kilgore comes up, pops the ball out. Um, you think about the Nicky Minwari interception. That was when Kentucky was driving the football, and they've got a great chance to at least get three there, maybe seven, right? Um, so they're able to convert on that, but I was thinking the same way as you, Wes. I mean, on, on that second, what ended up being the second to last drive, you're on the one, so you're thinking – you're kind of th- going through the worst-case scenarios, right? South Carolina was so backed up that they didn't even feel like they could hand the football off. They had to run, you know, a quarterback sneak on first down and actually got some decent yardage. But there you're going through, okay, you get stuffed and get a safety. You're thinking uh, if you call a passing play, which they did, if you get immediate pressure, you might have a, uh, you know, a, an uh, intentional grounding penalty. 
right? That's on the table. So then that's the safety. Or you're thinking, you know, you got a punt right out of the end zone, which is what they ended up having to do. So Kentucky getting the ball in the 50 might have been a little bit of a win, actually, for South Carolina in that situation. But then when Kentucky does get the ball, they're at the 50. They've got about, what, 210? And I think they got two timeouts at that point. I'm sitting there going, all right, they can run their offense, really. They, they can run the football. They can pass. They can take a shot. They can really do anything that they want. And in, in that situation, given the time, the timeouts, and some of the things that they were able to do, you know, they're, they're going to be able to administer their offense. They don't have to go super hurry up. And I kind of had in my mind, Wes, all right, they have had a lot of success short passing. So if you hit a few 8 to 12-yard routes here, three of those plays, and now you're in field goal range. But, uh, you know, Jordan Strawn and Tonka Hemingway, they had other things on their mind for that one. That was a that was a huge play. And then, you know, you go to the, the final drive that sealed it. South Carolina rushes three the first play. Tonka gets a hand on it. And then next play, they just rush two, and Tonka Hemingway is basically just mirroring the quarterback and, and kind of playing a spy on him, but not a spy for his running, a spy of just trying to, hey, let me try to affect the quarterback, and he was able to get a hand on it. So they came up time and time again with a lot of really big plays in key situations. They gave up some plays. They have some they'd like back. But they came up big when it counted. And I think, Wes, that includes the run game against Ray Davis, which was, you know, a big point of emphasis going into this game. You think Kentucky goes back and self-scouts and says, man, we should have gave the ball to Ray Davis more? I mean, he didn't run all over South Carolina. And, you know, you made the point. His stat, he he carried the ball so few times in this game that he did have the really nice longer run. But um, they they kind of kept him hemmed up the rest of the time. So. Which, yeah. which actually, now that I'm saying it out loud, that fits the mo that um, that Adam Luckett mentioned to us from KSR as well. You know, it, it 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 didn't really hit me at all until I said that out loud. But his day was kind of all right. He did have this one explosive run, but for the most part, they kind of held him up. And so it seemed to me like they were getting the ball around a little bit more to various guys. But I. I don't know, man. Just watching what he did against South Carolina when he was at Vandy, and I know they they probably look back and say, "Well, no, we had open passes yeah. down the field. We went vertical. It just wasn't executed." So that you can nitpick all play calling for every game, I think. But again, if I'm South Carolina, if, if you told me before the game, "Hey, Davis going to carry the ball twelve times. He's going to he's going to have a nice touchdown run, but you're going to hold him to sixty one yards." Do you sign for it right now? You, I mean, you can't get the pen in your hand fast enough. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, and with your question, I don't think Kentucky is thinking that way at all. Now, Ray Davis obviously wanted to carry the football more based on his his social media post he sent out about thinking he was the bell cow, and I think he deleted it after that. But it's easy to say that, right? Because you go, all right, you know, he only got twelve carries. Well. Kentucky only ran, I think, 66 offensive plays. Mm. So he could have gotten a higher volume. But, Wes, outside of that 31-yard touchdown run, and it was a nice run by him, um, I think he averaged about three yards a carry. And there were some negative plays in there. I think what Kentucky is lamenting is turnovers, uh, an interception, right, when you're knocking on the door of scoring, uh, a fumble after you've gotten a first down, 
tipped passes, having open receivers, missing two or three deep shots in the game, and then not getting off, the, you know, having a second and 27 against South Carolina where, you know, back, they have back-to-back positive plays, one of them that ended up being the game-winning touchdown. I think much more those are the things that they're probably lamenting in the game. Those and penalties, really a lot of the same things that South Carolina would have been lamenting, you know, after the game, J- just missed opportunities. So South Carolina d- did a really good job overall against Davis. They- they'd love to have that touchdown run back because they missed a tackle. They didn't fit it up super well. Um, but the rest of the time, they were pretty good. They even caused some negative plays uh, against Kentucky in the run game, which I think was really good. Not not nearly as many missed tackles, to be quite frank, Wes, as I thought were possible going into the game. Yeah, uh, let's see. I'm trying to pull up some stats here real quick just to top off the defensive talk. Um, but dude, Bam Martin Scott – Quietly, another really solid game when he was in there in the three-three-five look. I was looking at his PFF numbers. I mean, again, we we say it every time we talk about PFF. It's not the end-all, be-all of everything, but it is a guide. And the last four weeks, Chris, since South Carolina has run more and more of that three-three-five. So that started with the A and M game. We saw at Jacksonville State. Those games, and you can even see this reflected in his snap count, those two games, it was more of a package, and it was kind of a pressure package, kind of a different look package. They got called in it a couple times, I think, against Jacksonville State just because of how fast, you know, what their tempo is. Well, the last two weeks, it's been much more of a of a base defense for them. I'd have to go back and see exactly how much they were in three three five versus four two five. It wasn't exclusively three three five; like they were kind of back and forth. But still, you look snap count for him started to go up. Went up into the twenties against A and M and Jacksonville State. Went up into the forties against both Vanderbilt and Kentucky. And PFF grade for Bam seventy one point four this past week, eighty three point one against Vandy. 67.5 against Jacksonville State and 65.4 against Texas A&M. All four of those grades are higher than his grades in any other game before that this year. So he's had his four best games the last four games. And if you're if you're a teacher or you're thinking back to your grade school days, 65 on PFF scale is not – a D like it was when you're in school. 65 is is a solid day um, at the office. It's not a great, you know, it's not an overwhelming day, but basically anything over 60 is kind of, you brought more to the table than you, than you lost, basically. So those are all solid days. And the last two, like I said, 71 this Saturday, 83 against Vandy. So last two, I, I don't have his, I can't pull up for some reason his career numbers but probably two of his better games back-to-back in his entire career. So in addition to some of the guys that were out there just making plays, talked about Tonka, talked about Jordan Strong, Nick E, Kilgore, there were some other guys who sort of quietly racked up some stats in this one too. Um, you know, D- dude, Debo has quietly put together, yep. I feel like, a really nice season in terms of just making progress from last year. Um, 
I don't want to spend another 15 minutes analyzing a call, but um, it, it's hard for a guy as aggressive as Debo is and with as much passion and force as he brings to that position. It's got to be hard to let up when a guy starts sliding this like right when you're getting there, kind of. So that's that's a bang-bang play. Can't really fault Debo on that. But, uh, you know, th- there are just a lot of guys on that defense that quietly – help South Carolina have a nice night. Yeah, I think Debo, what's he got over 100 tackles, right, this year, mm-hmm. Wes? I mean, he's, he's had a really good year. And another one where the progression has been pretty fun to watch. Um, you know, arriving as a transfer from a, a small program, um, playing special teams as a freshman in 2021, playing mostly special teams, but kind of, getting more and more playing time, especially last season. You think about the Clemson game last year on the road. He started making more of an impact, had a big hit on the quarterback in that game. Um, And then this year we knew that he would be counted on a lot more. And I think he's kind of taken that and run with it. He's been a a vocal leader for the defense, Um, physical presence. um, And really it seems like Wes in the last few weeks, even he's just kind of taken it to the next level with – like his attitude, his want to on the field. He's always had a, had that dog mentality, but I feel like he's even been even more demonstrative on the field in the last few weeks. And he's backing it up with his play, made, made some really physical plays. You know, that that's the book on Kentucky. Like, they're always thought of as a physical team. And I know one of the things we talked about was, are they actually as physical as we think they are? And, man, I don't know. After watching them play, Kentucky still seems like a pretty physical team to me you know particularly look at some of their guys up front on defense I think it was a pretty physical game and South Carolina was game and and matched it or bettered it in a lot of situations by the way while we're on the PFF stuff we have I believe a new leader in defensive grade for the season I think I looked at it last week because every now and then I'll check in and just see who does PFF think has been the best player throughout the entire year. And newest or now the the guy with the highest grade so far with an 82, Tonka Hemingway. So there was a time early on where it was actually Kilgore, I think. And then I think there was a stretch where Marcellus Dial was actually quietly leading the way in grade. Um, right now – among players who who play, and by play I just mean they either start or are truly in the rotation. So I'm taking out guys that have had like, you know, 50 snaps. Tonka one, Dial two, Kilgore three, TJ Sanders four, Nick E five on defense. So that's your top five graded players overall this season in uh, on defense according to PFF. Let's go to offense for for a bit here, Chris. Again, not exactly the prettiest day. It, it kind of it started well with the ten points off the bat. It finished well with the. I mean that you go back and just look at that drive play by play. Um, you know, a third and long conversion to Leggett to really get the drive going. Then you know Rattler hits. I think all of his throws on that drive get a nice little run mixed in there from Mario Anderson. And then, you know, you have the call that puts you behind the sticks again. 
quick screen to Leggett. He gets it back, and, and you're always kind of going to those plays, I feel like, saying, can you can you get half? Like, can you get can you get me back half? So they get into the third and nine, and just – you want to talk about missed opportunities? That, that play on the third and nine, the 17-yard touchdown pass, was the opposite of missed opportunities. It was just – you had to execute, and you did. And when it all aligns like that, it, it really is like – it's beautiful to watch, I feel like. It's like poetry in motion. It's what I imagine you soccer fans, Chris, getting excited about when you finally see somebody actually score a goal, you know, and you're just like, it's the most beautiful game. But it that – if you break that play down in slow motion and then you see Spencer goes up to try to – to change the protection, to give Nick G a heads up on a blitzer. You can literally see the the wheels turning. He looks up on a play clock. He backpedaled back to his normal spot faster than I've ever seen him move in his life. Uh, <laughs> um, he's going, snap it, snap it, snap it, snap it. They snap it. Freshman Braswell gets up in there delivers the pass protection block of his life to give Rattler time. And then the thing I love about it, man, is just that little subtle slide from Rattler that I think only a veteran quarterback or only an elite quarterback makes. It's just the little – he slides himself to give himself just enough time and then knowing, hey, we've repped this play a 100 times. I know where 17 is going to be. And I know the the game is pretty much on the line here. I'm going to give him a shot to go get it. And the ball was perfect. Leggett used his frame to go get it. And, I mean, that that's just – that's like a hanging on the wall type play, I feel like, on, on all sides of it. Yeah, all the key players, you know, did enough or did – more than enough, I think, to make that happen. I mean, you got to credit everybody. I mean, Nick G got the snap off, right? Um, Spencer, in in about two seconds, went from going to change the protection to getting back, retreating, and kind of being ready to receive the snap and run a play. I mean, what can you say about Braswell not only taking on that block? I think Shane Beamer made a great point. It, it, number one, you're worried about a freshman in pass pro. You know, number two, you've got a freshman in there, and he's not only got to make a block, but he's got to come across the formation basically in the backfield to pick a guy up and kind of hold him up. And I, I saw that that little movement live from Spencer. You know, that guy's not in his face. He's kind of on the periphery. But being able to anticipate and buy himself that, I don't know if it's even a half second, a quarter second, to be able to just slightly move in the pocket and get that throw off. And Spencer said in the post game, he didn't even see Xavier. Like, could barely see him, just kind of threw it to a spot, and Xavier was there. And we, we had X on the Garnet Trust Hour today, Wes, on 107.5, and he was telling you about that play, just kind of how they've repped it. And just both of those guys having great trust and great chemistry in each other. So, huge play. I mean, and that stemmed from a, a second 27. And what did they do? They got the ball – to their best guys. I mean, they threw a screen pass to Xavier. The previous play, he got 17 yards, set him up there, and then they were able to run that play, and it, it was a huge one. It, it'll be, it's kind of one for the ages. 
Yeah, man, that that was fun. Not obviously not a great game for the offense, but some really nice moments, and and you can tell what they. I, I felt like I could kind of feel what they were trying to do on offense for for much of the game. It just they they just kept having issues that put them behind the sticks, and there were some creative things in there that I think we saw a glimpse of, but they didn't quite maybe get to. We saw the sellers package finally. We had been wanting and and hoping and and wondering. They finally got it. I think there's more to come from that. Uh, what five snaps? It, it was interesting how they did it, leaving Spencer on the field, basically putting him at, at running back. And you know, I, I imagine that particular personnel they have some other stuff working off of that. I imagine they have some stuff where Rattler's not in the game, and uh, it's just Sellers. And you kind of you you get a different number look, I think, in the box when you don't have the two quarterbacks, but when you do have the two quarterbacks, you're making teams wonder, all right, what what do they have in store here? Like, what what do I have to be ready for here? So I think that's a play, even if – or that's a, a look. Even if they don't have some double pass or something drawn up there, you at least make teams prepare for that look. And by teams in this case, we're talking about Clemson, obviously. You make Clemson prepare – for that look. Uh, Ashley Mew saying shout out to Rattler. Yeah, man. Continues to use his legs. He's gotten really good at running out of there, using his speed, creating some first downs on on third and long situations with his legs. Um, you know, an- another missed opportunity for the offense, though, Chris. They had a nice little drive cooking that stalled out when they got in around the 30. And then they took that long sack. That was another one where I thought at the time, I was like, man, that's going to really, really sting if they lose this game. So there there were missed opportunities on, on all sides. Big time, yeah. Yeah, I, and I go back, Wes, and look at uh, what was the drive that X, the, the, the one probably negative thing he did during the game is he had a, Gosh, surely it wasn't a 17-yard loss, too. There's Number 17 keeps coming up with him. But he had a big loss on a running play. And, uh, you know, th- that's the biggest takeaway from this game, I think. Um, certainly, the Gamecocks have done a really, really good job of taking care of the ball overall offensively. That was such a huge point of emphasis coming into this season that Beamer, Beamer kept saying, you know, it's embarrassing, it's awful. I mean, he used a lot of strong – uh, adjectives uh, to describe it, but they've done really well there. Well, the negative plays, I think that's the thing you can take out of this game where you've got to avoid that, right? Because you're going into a challenge this against this Clemson front that, yeah, a lot of this, uh, there was a stat they put up during the UNC game that I think no other team in the past, what, five years had more sacks or more tackles for loss or something like that than Clemson. Now, a lot of that was, based on from a defensive coordinator that's no longer there in Brent Venables, but they still got some dudes and they still generate a good many negative plays. That's the thing that really stands out is that you've got to be going forward, not backwards. And they had too many backwards situations in this game, whether it was runs, whether it was penalties, whatever it may have been. And in a couple instances and a couple key instances, they were able to overcome those, but there were some others in which they were not able to overcome the those plays. So that's something that's got to, I think, clean up uh, before next week. Yeah, so, somebody behind me at the game yelled, get him out of there. 
after that uh, Leggett play, and I'm just like, dude, he he's literally been one of the two best players on That's... the offense the entire year. I'm like, you, hmm. if you can give me the year Leggett has had, I'll take one <laughs> one mess up. That's... That's rough, yeah. And like you said earlier, man, speaking of Leggett, we did have him on Garnet Trust Hour. Check that out. It'll be posted on YouTube a little bit later on. I th- hey, I thought for a guy everybody says is so quiet, and for what we see in the press conferences, I thought he opened up a little bit. Like, you he got did. to know him a little bit. Um, some good stuff there. Very interesting to hear that he does. he's not a trash talker at all. Mm-hmm. Some, no. You know, Chris – Sometimes guys aren't big in media settings, like big talkers in media settings, but then on the field, they're you know they they don't shut up, like they're just they're running their mouths. Zay not not that guy, really anywhere it seems like. No, yeah, he even gave some instances. I mean, K- Kentucky was trying to man. Even after the game, I saw. I mean, literally, Kentucky lost the game, and one of their DBs came up to Mario Anderson, who was just standing there trying to start something. I don't know what that was about, because Mario and the same guy, I think, were chirping a little bit during the game. Mar- Mario appears to be a talker, which doesn't surprise me. I think I think he'll let some guys have it, but Zay doesn't say much. I, I saw some Kentucky players chirping at him a little bit, and he literally was just – I think I was watching it on the video board. Maybe they had, like, a close-up. He was just literally just walking, just not saying much of anything. But uh, I, th- I think his play did enough. It it generally does, right? It, it, like, it, yeah, it was good enough. Um, man, we're we're gonna look back on the season from that guy, and it it is gonna stand the test of time. I, I think in terms of just how important he has been for South Carolina, and uh, hopefully, I mean, it's obviously gonna mean a, a nice payday for him from an yeah. NFL team. I'm I'm hoping though it's a really 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 like upper level nice payday for him because uh, I still think there's a wide range of where he could end up and so that's going to be interesting to see but he dude he I mean he's going to run well like we talked about on the show with him the film is going to be fantastic I think once teams talk to him and really get to know him as well and you know they hear about how hard of a worker he is too all those things are going to go into his favor. Travis was asking, is Andrew Phillips an SC kid who spurned us? Uh, SC kid, yes, but never really had an offer from South Carolina. So you can't you can't ding him on that. He uh, he didn't really have a choice um, as far as not going to South Carolina. And, uh, yes, Mac uh, saying that uh, X is a finalist for the Bolitnikoff Award. Pretty, pretty good um, company in that one, Chris. Yeah, really good company, man. I saw uh, – I looked over – I briefly looked over the full list earlier, but I think just 10 guys at this point since it's a semifinal list. Brock Bowers is on there, a bunch of other dudes. It'll be interesting to see where Xavier Leggett falls. His – you know, one thing he may get dinged on – because of how these things go is just the record of the team, right, that he plays on. But if you look as far as impactful guys at the wide receiver position or a pass-catching position, there aren't too many that you would find that have been uh, more impactful and better than him, and that's that's why he's on the list. So well, well-deserved for him. And, man, watch, watching him, I, I was saying this earlier to Tyler Head on 107.5, like we've been doing this a while, Wes, and we've seen a lot of guys – 
um, progress into becoming good players or really good players. We've seen a lot of big time impact impact players at South Carolina, but I think Xavier Leggett's journey to get here has been maybe the one of the most fun for me to watch and one of the most unique because you don't typically see it take up until the fifth year to have like this extreme. Like you, you see fifth year guys, okay, he had a breakout, so he had his best year yet. You see that. But to go from, to be quite honest, a pretty minimal impact on the program over the first four years to to this, like that extreme of a jump has really been something. And uh, it's it's been awesome to watch for sure. Yeah, man, it's been really fun. Confidence through the roof. Go, uh, if, you, if you didn't hear it, go check out that interview. I thought it was pretty good. Um, I'm biased, but I thought it was pretty good. So, uh, by the way, if you want to go watch X score touchdowns against Clemson, we are giving away two free tickets to um, one lucky person. If you're listening or watching on the video version right now, if it's on Facebook or YouTube, check the comments right now from the official Gamecock Central account there. Click the link, and you can sign up to be entered to win two tickets. Otherwise, I had a few people reach out to me, Chris, and say, hey, I heard it, but I didn't know how to find the link because I wasn't on there. I'm going to tweet it on the Gamecock Central account. So go to twitter.com slash Gamecock Central, and then I'm going to pin it so it'll be the first thing you see on our news feed on Twitter. So if you're listening and, you know, after the fact here, you have up until Thursday, and you'll be able to sign up to be entered um, to win these two tickets to South Carolina versus Clemson. Should be an interesting game. We got all week to get into that, so we'll hold off. Also, let me tell y'all real quick about our friends at Liberty Tax, 803-462-5576. Tax time, hey, it's right around the corner. If you've had a lot of life changes and you want to go ahead and get a head start on this and kind of get a feel for what's on the horizon with your taxes, go ahead and call our friends at Liberty Tax with three convenient locations right here in the Columbia area, 803-462-5576. Our man Larry, who is a huge Gamecock fan and owner of all three, he's going. he and his team are going to help you through this process and, and make it very easy, very simple. Chris, getting his taxes done there. I'm going to get my taxes done there this year, and uh, you should do the same, 803-462-5576. I'm sure there's something we haven't covered, Chris. What could it be? Oh, there's probably a, a good bit, Wes. Um, he, here's one that I'll say. I saw a good bit of talk. I heard a good bit of talk during the game, and I saw some talk after about Kai, Kai Kruger's performance. Um, it seems the staff was actually pretty happy with his performance. He, he of course, was seen on the field a lot more than they would like. They had to punt a lot more than they would have liked. Um, there were there were a couple punts that certainly were not his best, but, you know, Beamer kind of went over it in the post game as far as what he averaged and how he punted. They seem to be pretty happy with it. So we'll see if Pete Limbo talks tomorrow and, and what he thought about it. I will, I will trust if Pete Limbo goes up there and says, Hey, we thought Kai Kroger had a great day. I will adopt that as the official position because I, I, I trust what he says on that. Um, was it a, an amazing day? I didn't think so. 
But I, I, what, I that did kind of stand out to me, Wes, that the staff seemed pretty happy overall with his punting. I, I know there was one that kind of seemed a little bit of a mishit, but it ended up still pinning Kentucky, you know, fairly far back. So um, just, just a little side note there on special teams. Kentucky's punter was t- – to quote Steve Spurrier, Kentucky has a good punter. He was also quite good. Well, but we – as a football fan, we saw a little too much – of both punters. Too many, yeah, too many punts. Didn't like that. Didn't enjoy that part for like the, the middle two quarters. Just lot, lots of punting. Not cool. But anyway. All right. Yeah. So let's see. Do we miss anything? Craig said the Fuller bump. Yeah. Matt Fuller moving up again. Hey, our, our boy Charles Power told us, hey, man, I see everything I want to see from Matt Fuller. I'll move him up if he has a big year on the field in terms of his yards per carry. And Fuller responded by rushing for, like, what seemed like 300 yards every game. So um, he keeps moving up in the on-three rankings. No real surprise there. Um, I got to get out of here, so I'm going to give these quick uh, quick hitters. Austin asked about uh, Quasheed Scott. Um, any idea on when? I haven't heard any timetable on that at all. I tend to think, guys, from some stuff I've heard, South Carolina in pretty good shape there. Um, I've heard that for a while, even before this past weekend. I wouldn't be surprised if that's just kind of a goes down to signing day type thing and signs with Kentucky or South Carolina, you know, just kind of waits and sees. That's That part's complete speculation on my part, but it just kind of feels that way. And um, – I, I think even though he's committed to Kentucky, better chance he ends up with South Carolina. And we'll do one more. Real quick, Chris, do you buy the Cam Fountain comments? So I'll give a little bit, Wes. The short answer is no, uh, based on some things that I've heard. I thought the comments are very interesting, especially coming right off of what all indications were, another really good South Carolina visit. All the evidence has pointed to otherwise. Those comments did prompt me to do some more checking. Still feel like South Carolina is very much in that. We actually have a report on the Insiders Forum for Gamecock Central subscribers up right now. I've got something going up on the front page at 4 p.m. We're right at 3 o'clock here on Monday. I've got something going up on the front page, too. Check that out if you're a member. If you're not a dollar for your first month, go check that out. Support our work. Get access to all our content. Uh, But, yeah, I, I don't. I don't think that one's over. I saw I, I saw the comments. I have no doubt he made them. I don't know why he made them. Um, and it kind of makes you think, hey, he's shutting it down. It's over. I don't think it's over by any means. And I think South Carolina actually still has quite a good shot on that one as well. And would be a great pickup, obviously, for the Gamecocks. To pair him with Dylan Stewart would be pretty incredible. Um Somebody asked about Anthony Carey, I think. Um, honestly, my attention still on Daniel Hill for South Carolina in their last running back slot um, doesn't really seem – I haven't been tracking Carey. I'll just say it like that. I haven't been tracking Carey that closely compared to um, the other running backs, uh, namely Daniel Hill, South Carolina's primary target. So, all right, y'all. We're out of here. Appreciate it as always. Big win for the Gamecocks. They'll go for – Another one, fourth in a row this year to close out the year against Clemson this week. So, all right, he's Chris. I'm Wes. We'll see you all later.